0: Here we go guys. My name is Andrew Krause and I co-founded InventRight with my business partner Stephen Key over 20 years ago and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since and uh, today we are going to do a full hour of Q&A during this uh, pandemic. I've been doing this uh, once a week. I hope you guys like it. I'm just going to step on over there and turn up the AC just a little bit of crank and we'll be right back. There we go. All right. So um, I just want to welcome you to the show. Uh, you know, I know a lot of you have been watching us on, on YouTube, and um, some of you are new. And uh, I want to encourage you to watch our YouTube show. There's a lot of good info on there. Um, it's not the same as having a one-on-one coach talking to you specifically about your product. But it's, it's pretty good. And we just hit over 600... Um, videos. Um, I want to, uh, eh, you know, I'm not really ready to announce that. I'll, I'll do that a different way. Um, anyway, uh, most of you, uh, you know, coming up with ideas become part of who you are, and it starts to be a little annoying when there's this disconnect between oh, I got these great ideas, and for years, or a decade, or however long, I I didn't feel like I could get them out for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't think you had enough money. Um, maybe you didn't think, um, companies would listen to you, uh, all sorts of different reasons. Maybe you thought you had to have a prototype. Um, and we dispel a lot of these myths. And uh, if I had to put it as bluntly as possible, we, we remove, um, all those excuses that you may have, the things that you think may be true, but then you learn about our approach and you figure out that they aren't true and that you can do this. Um, so that's kind of what we're all about. Empowering people to license their products. So let's jump in, um, type your questions into the, uh, into the chat box and I'll answer them. I love doing Q and a, I tend to go pretty fast people because if I talk like this, I might get, you know, I don't know, 15 questions answered. But if I talk kind of fast, Maybe I get 30 questions answered. I don't know. I can't, I don't know what number. I've never counted how many questions I've answered in a session. Probably not that many. But um, so hopefully you guys don't mind me talking fast. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump in here. Uh, I've got a few thank yous. Uh, Tonya, hi, Andrew. Hi, Tonya. Um, Chris, uh, hi, Andrew. Thank you for hosting this. You're welcome, Chris. Uh, Beu, uh, hi, Andrew. Thank you for doing this um and so let's get let's jump in and get started so and oh and I want to remind you guys please because a lot of you have handles and it's not your real name and just use first name is fine just at the beginning of your question just type your name bob sally whatever it is so I don't have to read a silly screen name although I will if I have to so uh if you present your this is from anna anna boney uh, Anabony. That's and if you present your idea to a company, and then they say, "Oh, we're working on that already." How would I know that? And what should I do? Um. So if somebody says you're working on already, well, first off, cater. You know, addressing inventor paranoia um, is relevant. Okay, there's. It's. I'm not going to tell you that a company has never stolen an idea from an inventor ever in the history of time because it it happens. Um, Hasn't happened to one of our students in 20 years as far as I know yet. Um, It'll happen one day. Um, But our students are doing and saying all the right things. Um, But the average inventor is not. So I I see why it's happening more often. With that said, you can still do and say all the right things. And it can happen once in a while. Um, But it's, it's pretty rare, guys. What I found is more common is you, the inventor, rip yourself off out of your own fear. If you don't show your idea to anybody, you rip yourself off and you'll never get your product out there. So um, just giving you my perspective from having done this for 20 years. Um, it's very rare that I see inventors get ideas taken. But Anna, Annie, Annie Boney says, so if you present your idea to a company and they say, we're already working on something something similar, how do I know that and what should I do? So first off, before you approach any companies, you should file a provisional patent application, you know, and you should always file that. So that's going to predate whatever they did, if the date is before what they did, but maybe they've been working on something similar for two years. That's just real. It's just normal. Then move on. And maybe they're saying that maybe it's just, you have to qualify it too. And they probably aren't going to get deep into the details, but, um, It may be just somewhat similar, like it's something in that space. So therefore, they're not interested in yours. And that's not unheard of. And that's perfectly fine. Sorry for knocking on the table there and moving the camera. Um, And that's perfectly fine. That'll happen sometimes. Um, But you filed your provisional patent application. If you believe the idea is like, you should continue showing it to others. This is what I can say. So there's the things that could happen. And then there's things that do happen. And so I have never, ever had an right student that showed an idea to a company. And then the company said, no, we're going to something similar. Or no, we're not interested. And then later they saw it come out on that company's website. I've had a few more than a few students worried about it. And I said, well, you know, keep track of their website. Take a look, you know, see if it ends up coming out. And it never has. So it's, it's something that just might happen. So my, Anna, Annie, Annie Bonnie is your name. Um, my recommendation is to keep moving forward. Keep showing it to other companies, you know. Um, also verify that they understand um, your product. If you have a good sell sheet or a good video, that they understand the true benefits of it because they might go, oh, this is better than what we have. So make sure your marketing piece is good. Uh, Tonya, hi, Andrew. Before taking the steps to license my product, what is the best way to get proof of concept? How should I go about gathering information without giving away my idea? Um, It's going to vary with the product, but what you're always selling, this is one thing that we've been teaching forever at InventRight. You're not selling your prototype and you're not selling your patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. So, if it makes it easier to flip burgers, or if it makes it easier to open up a bottle of wine, or it's cheaper, or it's better, or it's this, or it's that, that's your benefit. That's what you're selling. You're not selling your prototype or a patent. Okay. So, in your marketing piece, you're highlighting that benefit. And you can go fishing and off the end of the pier and see if anybody's interested in the end benefit of your idea. So what what Tonya is saying is, how do I get proof of concept? Uh, What do you mean by that? Proof of concept? I think what she might be saying is, what do I show to the company? And the answer is a marketing piece, either a one-page sell sheet, a one-page PDF, which you would send via email, or a short 30 to 60 second video. You never really want to go over a minute. I've seen a few cases where it makes sense to go 90 seconds. But most of the time, a lot of time these days it's a sell sheet. But videos are great too. So, what you're doing is you can sell the product, the benefit of the product with without having a prototype. So, you say you want proof of concept. The question is, do you need it? Now, sometimes you do. So, if you have, um, if you have, I don't know, if you have these reading glasses here, right? And let's say the problem is, is it here? The problem is that, oh, well, reading glasses just aren't comfortable, or glasses in general aren't comfortable. And you've invented some sort of uh, uh, gel padding that goes here that you can just i'm just making something random up guys so and you're going to stick it to glasses right and it's going to make it more comfortable a lot of glasses i've had it really hurts the back of my ear i got like a bone right there i don't know if you guys feel the same way but so you know that can be done right you could look at other little gel pads for other things or maybe it's a variation or maybe your product just has a hinge on it and it provides it functionality. So, you don't need to understand the entire product. You need to understand your change to the benefit. So, the proof of concept is the marketing piece, not a prototype. Proof of concept shows them how they're going to sell it. Now, so if you're like 70% sure they can do it, and a lot of times you just look at similar things, you go, well, they can make that and that, and I'm just changing this little piece. I'm pretty certain that they can do this. You don't know every little detail it's okay to do that. And if a company comes back and they show interest and you don't have that done and they want a prototype or if they do, a lot of times they'll just get to talk to you about the product and they're excited about the product. Oh yeah, that's pretty obvious how it's going to be done. Now you can't do that if you say, well, I've got this idea. I've given this example before for a robot. You should make this robot. This is the crazy inventor, right? And it's going to jump up on the roof and it's going to shingle your house so people don't need to sweat. Nobody's going to have to, you don't have to product liability insurance because nobody's going to fall off the roof except for the robot. And, and the company's like, wow, this is great. Yeah, you can do that. And they're like, well, how are we going to do that? And you're like, I don't know, but I think you should do it. It's a good idea. <laughs> don't be that wacky inventor. But a lot of times you can look at... Um, similar products and you can make assumptions that it can be done. So let's say it's uh, I got two dogs recently. Don't ask me why 2 They're both about 11 months old. It's craziness. Um, and, you know, let's say you got a new dog toy uh, and you've got this, you know, you, you, you cannibalize an existing dog toy. You change it a bit. You can wrap some duct tape around it and you throw it. The dog's playing with it. The dog loves the new design, you know, the way they can bite onto it or something. Right. But you literally duct taped it together. So a lot of times your proof of concept or your prototype is something that's cannibalized or Frankenstein. Other times, sometimes I'm not going to say you never have to go to a prototype or to get it done, but to believe this is the misconception to believe that you need this production ready, beautiful working prototype or prototype at all is not true. 100% 100% of the time it's not the vast majority of the time you sell the benefit you go fishing you see if there's interest maybe you can get them to make it like oh well i just took this product and put a hinge on it i could send you my crude prototype or maybe you don't even have the crude prototype i could send you the product and they're like oh no no we got that yeah we we can see that we'll get some quotes we got enough information maybe they want some drawings or something oh okay well you know i don't have i don't i don't have that but uh, but but give me six weeks, I'll get that back to you. Okay, great. But then in the meantime, you talk to them about the product, verify their interest. You don't want to do all that work. You show it to them, they're like, eh, you know, you 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 people get all excited that a company's showing interest, but you want to talk to them a little bit. So have you licensed before? You know, oh yeah, we've licensed like eight products or so, you know. So how do you see it fitting with your product? You want to have those conversations first before you get your wheel spinning on some expensive prototype or even a simple prototype. Um. So you said, how should I go about gathering information without giving my idea away? Well, if you do need to contact any sort of, um, somebody that's going to do some drawings for you or graphic design for you, or we do virtual prototypes for our student, students, always have them sign a non-disclosure agreement. And if you really want to get very protected, if you're working with a vendor to do get a virtual prototype or prototype or something, it should be a non-disclosure agreement with an improvements clause. And what that means is, any improvements you own so if you're like well here's this i need to protect it i need sorry i need to get a prototype on it and they're like oh well you know we could change it a little like this to make it better and you're like oh that's clever yeah let's do that if they sign an nda with an improvements clause um, I'm not talking about the company you license to i'm talking about like a prototyper graphic designer graphic designers don't typically do that but maybe um then that can be beneficial asking companies to do that an NDA with improvements clause, ooh, that can be, that can really freak them out. Because that means that you own anything in that space, you know, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, so let's jump on to some more questions. Tommy says, hi, Andrew, I know how to find the big brand name companies, but how do you find the smaller companies that are willing to license my product? this is the same way as the big brand name companies. You have to look at the major retailers you want to be in. And if they are in those retailers, you know, they're big enough to talk to. They might not be the biggest. Um, and then also look at smaller retailers. So if you look at smaller retailers, then there might be other companies there that aren't the big name companies and you'll find some new companies. So you have to look in the retailers for the manufacturers that sell at the retailers, that's who you're licensing to, not the retailers. People get confused on that all the time. It's so basic and people get really confused on that. Um, Chris says, can you give me some advice on how to determine a price and cost range for my product? Well, quite often you can do that by looking at similar products, Chris. You look at similar products and if they can make that for 1995 and I just change this thing on here. Or maybe you're like, it's going to add at least like ten bucks to that um typically whatever this is a a general rule I'm not going to say it's applied to all categories or anything, but typically whatever your cost is, it's five times that at retail. so if the product costs two cents to manufacture, sorry two dollars to manufacture, it's probably selling for around uh ten dollars at retail um so if you think that you're added cost to the product, let's say it's going to cost more. Let's say it's not a minor change it's a, and it's going to cost a whole dollar, which is a lot in some products, to make put this hinge over here that's going to add your feature. But everything else is the same as these other products. Well, then it's going to be about $5 more, the product. So you got to ask yourself, will a customer pay $5 more for this version? It's like, oh yeah, like that has... $50 value or that has a $20 added value. But if it's like, eh, you know, then it's uh, it might be adding too much cost. Sometimes your product will actually make it cheaper than other similar products. So you have to look at similar products. People will typically um, gloss over that and it's kind of funny. It's kind of like, well, I see that. Pro- oh, but that product sucks. Oh, that product sucks. Oh, that product Oh, mine's better than that. Oh, that's cheap. Oh, that's way too expensive. And people are spending time defending how great their idea is when they should really see how it fits into the marketplace. You know, oh, OK, there's those over there and they have that benefit and there's these over there and then there's these there this high price and low price. Oh, mine's going to fit right here you know, your product doesn't need to be mind-blowingly better. It just needs to be cheaper or different or a little bit better sometimes. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh, who did that one? Let's see. It's hard to page up and down in here. That was Tommy. Thank you for the, the question, Tommy. Uh, let's see. No, that was Chris. Sorry. With the, with the price range. Um, can you give some advice on how to determine a a price and cost range for my product? Um, yeah, the easiest way is look at similar products and, um, you can go out and get costing. You'll never be as good as what the company will get. Um, but more or less the the general rule of thumb is go, I think that this is going to go for 59.95 and you base that on other things in the market. And you have to ask yourself, be honest with yourself, will people pay that for this? And sometimes inventors will add every feature in the kitchen sink, like 20 different features. And it's like, okay, you look at everything in the market and you figure out what's going to make sense. Um, can't always throw everything in the kitchen sink because that adds cost in there as far as features go. Um, Uh, time lizard. I don't know your real name, but we'll just call you Liz, I guess. Uh, what if, what, what's your advice for getting over being stuck on a particular project? Got to stay motivated. Well, you know, if you've been stuck on it for a while, the question is like, why are you stuck on it? Are you stuck on it because you don't know what to do? Are you not getting help? Uh, are you watching the invent right show? Is that not enough for you? Do you need to read one of our books? Do you need to get coaching? So, you know, you, there's no sense in moving to another project. You have to ask yourself, why are you stuck on this project? So if you're stuck on this project because, um, you don't know what to do next, you don't know how to figure out, you think you need a prototype, but you don't, you just need a marketing piece. You don't know who the companies are. Have you been reaching out to companies? It's really going to depend on um how much effort you make. so if you want to type in, maybe we'll get to you a little later um what you're stuck on specifically they if you could if you could type that in, I'll page down to the bottom and try to try to answer that in a little bit here rather than me just rambling um, Let's see. Oh, this is interesting. Chris says Would you ever advise someone to use a de- detail sheet outlining the details not addressed in the cell sheet? Yes, but I would not include that when you send it to a company. I would always just send the sell sheet, go fishing. If you give them all the details, they have no reason to reach out to you. Now, you don't hold back on it, so they don't understand what the marketing would look like, because that's just stupid. I've seen some people try to like, make them guess, like intrigue them with a sentence. Or No, you got to show them that the marketing would be. They do not have time to mess around with that. OK, so I would not definitely never include a detail sheet when you send to a company, send them the marketing piece. When they ask for more information, then you could send the detail sheet. But even then, I would I would always utilize the sell sheet of the video to get on that first phone call, because when they spend 10 times 10 minutes of you, that shows they're serious. Just saying email me more information that doesn't really show they're serious. It shows that it's more than, OK, we're just going to ignore you but I would not send the detail sheet, but absolutely it can be very helpful. So I, I I think it's great, but when to send it. Okay. Um, Bayou says, I have an idea for a workout. Wow. It's windy as heck out there. That's raining. Wow. Okay. We haven't had rain here for months. Um, I live in Henderson, Nevada, which is next to Las Vegas, which is the desert. And we'll typically have monsoons this time of year. We just haven't had any this year. It's been like dry as a bone. And it looks like we're having one right now. Just get these crazy, insane winds and and rain. Um, Okay. Bayou, I have an idea for a workout equipment which comes in three versions but targets the same muscle group, which is common in fitness. Um, should I pitch one version of the potential licensee or pitch all? So you have an idea for workout equipment, which comes in three versions, but target the same muscle group. You know, three versions. The question is, why do you have three versions? And if what the you should be pitching the best version, that's my knee jerk reaction, Bayo. Um, the one that is, is, is cost effective, but has like the, the best value, like maybe it's not super cheap, it's going to fall apart and super expensive as best value is going to be effective. The one that if they saw it would be most convinced that's the one they want. My answer is you should guess as to which one they would want and show that to them. Now, what you could do, and I don't normally recommend this, but in the email, it could, you, could, you could show them the one you know, with your um, sell sheet or your video. And then, um, in the email, just a sentence or two, that's it. Say, um, if you're interested in the benefit of this product, but don't like this particular product, I have actually two other products with the same benefit. It, you know, and you so you could write that. I don't think I've ever offered that advice, but in your case, you could do that. But my answer is you really need to pick the version you think's best. You got three versions. Why do you have three versions? Um, it's great. You're brainstorming. You got different versions, but I put your best foot forward. These marketing managers, they have six to 10 seconds to look at what you want. That's all they're going to give you. So if you don't intrigue them and you send three versions, you kind of look like that inventor and it's like, hasn't figured it out. You need to be respectful of their time. But if they are kind of intrigued, you know, with the invention, but ah, that's not going to work with this one. And you put in the email, like I've got two other versions. And also, when they say no to it, that's when you could say, "I have two other versions. Can you take a quick look?" And you could just send it to them. So you would, you would never lose the opportunity,, um, in my opinion, because you're not never going to give up with the company until they say no. Now, there's a point in time where you give up. I mean, you try to reach out to them every different way, like eight, nine, 10 times, and just no response, just complete crickets. Okay, you're going to give up, but not until then. Um, our students get interest all the time. Sometimes companies will reach back out to you like two months later, but you need to reach out to them multiple times. So when you need to, uh, resend them those other versions after they reject the first one. So, uh, I, I would pick one of those three Bayo. um, let's see if you, this is from, I already did one from Chris. So I'm going to come back to you, Chris. Let me go down here from time lizard, get back on, um, to his question. I'm working on a game. I'm trying to get the, the rules just right. I know I'm supposed to be selling the benefits, but it, it just doesn't feel right moving forward. If I can't communicate the rules. Okay. It's a little bit different with, um, with the game. So he's like working on a board game. Maybe it's a, we have one of our students, um, auto, he's licensed like six lawn games. He's like the lawn game inventor, you know, and he, he has relationship with these companies. Now he just keeps going back showing them other products. Really cool. Um, but you know, with a game, whether it's a board game or a lawn game or a card game, yeah, you need to know what you're selling there. I, I, I agree with you. And so if your question was, I forget what you said earlier, time lizard, um, let me go back up here. Jeez. Where was your other question? There we go. What's your advice for getting over being stuck on a particular project? Got to stay motivated. Oh, okay. It was just kind of general like that. Well, that that's not a really a licensing problem, Time Lizard. I mean, that's our Liz. I'll call you Liz. Uh, <laughs> um, that's not really a, a licensing or uh problem that's a product development problem. Um you can't get the rules for your game just right. So that's just a creativity issue. Um uh you know they don't need to be just right again you're not selling the very specific rules. If your game has these general rules and has a certain fun I mean when you're playing a game it's usually a fun factor, an intellectual factor if it's some sort of intellectual board game or something like that, or card game. And it has that factor. So if you just haven't worked out the details, but you have the general fun factor, the general approach to the game, I think you could still pitch it and see if they're interested in the general concept of the game. You don't have to have every little detail worked out because then you'll have somebody on the hook. Then they might say, Oh, we don't like the rules and you're not going to be sending the rules, you know, Um, you know, early on. So, you know, I don't know how far along you are with it, but I think you could, uh, you could probably pitch the general concept if you have the general concept. Now, if you don't have the rules down that much, well, then you need to figure them out. And that's just being an inventor, you know? Um, and what's really nice about games is you copyright the rules. Just, cop- you just put a little C. It's copyrighted by default. You don't even have to send it in the Library of Congress, although you can pay the, I don't know how much it is, 100 bucks or something these days if you wanted to. But it's much easier to protect uh, cause you can protect the rules. So that's one nice thing about that. Um, so, you know, you might, if you just can't move forward, you might put it in the closet for a bit, work on another project, you know, and then it'll come to you one day, like, oh, the rules. Oh, now I know. Or you play with your friends and family and you figure out the rules. So let's see. Uh, don't have a real name here. Bohemian Bohemia Hill maybe that is your name. Uh I po- I'm going to try to pronounce Bohemian Hill. Bohemian 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 Hill. Oh, okay, now I get it. Bohemian Hill, it's not a name. All right, sorry guys. I'm just entertaining myself. Um I'm pretty much in the beginning stages and I feel like I'm ready but I can't find the initiative to just start, any advice on just getting things going? Um, uh, two things: I would get a general overall picture of the steps. Um, if you get our book, One Simple Idea, you can learn about the Invent Right Ten-Step System. I don't know what it is now; between thirteen and nineteen bucks on Amazon, it's pretty cheap. Um, and so, it's nice when you just don't know how to get started to have an overall picture. Like this is the. It's kind of it's crazy just to start going down a path, not knowing where you're going. So people run out and get patents and make prototypes and they literally, when I ask some inventors, they literally don't know if they're going to license their ideas for royalties or if they're going to venture it and sell it yourself, but they just want to feel like they're going. And then they spend money on patents and money on prototypes. I'm like, you didn't even know where you were going. Like, why did you spend all that money on that? That's craziness. You didn't need to do that. Um, so overall, I would say get a big picture of where you're going. Decide if, if you want to license So look at our 10 steps and then figure out what the first step is. The first step is studying the marketplace. Like I talked about earlier, look at all the products in your micro category. So if you're doing a doorstop, look at all the doorstops, you know, um, I'll give you an example. So let's say it's a, man, it's just pouring rain out there. So let's say it's a, uh, bar, it's a barbecue product. For you to go out and study all barbecue accessories would be overwhelming because there's so many. But barbecue spatulas, you can study those in like four hours. So one for Bohemia Hill, one Bohemian Hill. One of the um, things you could do is is study the micro category of your invention. So figure out what that is. So it's not like all car accessories. It's car air fresheners. It's not all wine bottle openers, but it's. Wine bottle um, suction devices that you know keep your bottle closed, so that you know it keeps your wine fresh for a couple extra days or whatever. So figure out what your what I'm calling your micro category is. Get on the Google Images, look at all those products. A lot of people, well, I haven't seen it. I'm like, that's not research. Just the fact that you haven't seen it in the store is not proper research. So I don't know if this is where you are, uh, Bohemian Hill, but. Um, starting with your research, just start with something, learn the Invent write 10 steps. You can get our book, one simple idea to do that. I mean, you watch the YouTube shows kind of all over the place, but you watch the, you read the book and then watch the YouTube show too. And just get started with something on your own that doesn't cost you a dime, makes you feel like you're moving forward and you will be moving forward and you're gathering some info and it'll give you kind of a shot in the arm to keep going, you know? So that would be my advice. Um, Brandon says, how long should a product sell sheet video be? So uh, he wrote less than 60 seconds. Yeah, if you can do it less than 60 seconds. I've seen great ones that were 10 seconds. I've seen great ones that are 30 or 60. You should really always try to keep them under 60. Um, And it's not this. Hi, my name is Bob, and I came up with this idea five years ago when I was talking to my wife, and we were picnicking with our kids. And I think it's a great idea. And oh, I'm an engineer, by the way, and and um, I've been inventing for ten years. No, don't do that. Don't don't do that. <laughs> okay. It just boom. It's like it's like a. If you look at the infomercials, it doesn't have to be cheesy like that. When you do a video you know, it's like problem solution, problem solution, or you, you're showing how the product works, or if it's a dog toy, you're, you're you you're on there saying, you know, a lot of dogs, you know, get, get bored with this type of dog toy and, you know, they tear it apart, but mine's indestructible. Here you go, Fido, and you throw it and then you show them like your pit bull, like trying to tear it apart and you hold it up and you're like, see, indestructible, done, you know, and it's that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be cheesy. It, can, it depends on the type of product, right? Um, so, but if you do a video, be very direct in the point. And one of the things you can do is look at those infomercial guys, you know, look at, look at them. Um, so you can type in as seen on TV infomercials into YouTube, you can look at them and you, you can kind of see a pattern or a formula. Um, our coaches help our students with that one-on-one. They help them pull out the big benefits. A lot of times the student thinks like, this is the big benefit. And the coach is like, That's like a side note, dude. This is the big benefit. Why? You know, so sometimes you're up in your own head. So you have to figure out what's important, what's not. Um, Nice thing about a video is you can throw a few more things in there than you can a cell sheet. Whether you should or not is another question. But you can cram more pictures, more images because they're flashing up for a second or two. Um, And, you know, sometimes a video is not a video. Sometimes it's just a series of still images with somebody talking you know, maybe it's a series of still images and some video. So it's not always what you guys think it is. It can be pretty simple. Um, You could pay people very affordably to do narration. You have to write the script. Our coaches help you with that if you're a student of ours. Um, But sometimes our students have great voices and you can do it just fine yourself. You do it a couple times, learn like Windows Movie Maker if you're on a Mac, maybe iMovie. Um, different things like that but yeah if you can do it under 30 that's great but under 60 is fine too don't lose them in the first 10 or 15 seconds like hi my name's bob and i have an invention you know don't don't lose them because you will you will lose them so make sure you're doing something that's intriguing in the first 10 seconds or so but people like watching videos so videos are great um uh, okay, uh, so whoa, that is a long name. Ah, oh, that's not that hard of a name. Salvador Enno Enno. I'm probably not saying that right. Uh, Salvador. My wife knows a little bit of Spanish. Salvador. Just Salvador. Salvador Enno. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But um, hi, Andrew. My name's El. You didn't even need to do that. You wrote my name is Ed, Ed Edgar. Um, you go by Edgar. I have a question. If I become a student. Uh, and pay you for help for six months. In the six months, can I work on different ideas for the same price? Uh, Yes, absolutely. We heavily encourage that. The bigger, uh, we help, we basically, we do two things when you become a student of ours is that we make sure you do and say everything right on the projects you work on while you're with us. You have the highest chance of success of licensing the product. Then it's up to the companies. I can't guarantee you're going to license every product you work on, but we can guarantee you're going to do and say everything right. Cell sheet's great. List of companies is great. You did your research right. You followed your PPA. You're talking to companies the right way. You know how to talk to them after you get interest. And a negotiation coach is helping you with that. Every, you're doing everything right. But we want to empower you with real life experience, with what I call experiential learning, so that you can say at some point, I get it, guys. I don't need you anymore. I can license products the rest of my life. I get into a really difficult deal. I know you guys are always there for me. I can always come back. Okay. But um, so we heavily encourage people to work on more than one project if you have that in you, and if you're ambitious enough to do that. We do have a rule that you can only work at work on one when you come on board. We've had students try to come on board, come out of the gate with three, and then you're researching three, doing a PPA for three, you're making your list of companies from three. It doesn't friggin work. but if you and if you just do one, you'll get through that really quick. And so, once you get the initial calls, and you don't need to be done with the project. But you get the initial calls in. To us, you have now earned the right to start working on another project. But here's the thing: Monday rolls around. You're always working on your older project, number one. You're making the calls for that. Maybe it only takes you. Uh, you spend two hours making some calls, sending up some follow up emails, and the rest of the week you earn the right. To work on project number two, but Monday rolls around, you're not forgetting about project number one. So that's our approach. So, you absolutely encourage to work on multiple projects. We don't charge you anything more than that. Be negotiations with multiple projects, but you cannot come out of the gate with multiple projects. You have to get through one project first, but you don't have to be done with it. You just have to get the calls in. So, that is something that we don't have up our website, but it, because if you can work on to oh i experienced a few little new things here and then you become even more empowered cuz you experience more and you your coach helped you through it so um so that's uh, that's that edgar um Raul says hi andrew what is the best way we can squeeze into a micro category with a novel useful product in the automotive accessory area you know I don't know what to squeeze into a micro category. Well, if you're looking, if you're, Raul, if your question is, you want to find a product in the automotive category, you know, I, what I would do if, let's say you just, I don't know if this is your question, but I'm not sure you can type in if it's not and I'll expand on it. But if you study like all automotive products is a lot, right? If you study automotive accessories, you, you spend an hour or two, looking at an automotive accessory website, and you're looking through everything, right? And then something piques your interest. Maybe two categories pique your interest. You're like, Oh, this one category really piques my interest. It's a silly thing. I'm just going to say, well, we had this uh, student, he licensed a, um, he was a four by four guy, and he licensed this cool door that goes on Jeeps, so it wouldn't normally have a door, it really serious off-roading stuff, and it kind of goes up like a Lamborghini. The door goes up it's more like a bar than a full-on door. Um, And so, you know, that's a micro category. So you could look at off-road Jeep doors, you know, that's specific enough, Raul, where you could spend four hours studying off-road Jeep uh, doors and you could... Fully understand everything that's out there in like four hours, which is really cool. So, you want the category to get down small enough where you could spend four to six hours, in some cases, maybe two, to really understand it, all the benefits of each one. Don't keep it in your head. Bookmark it in Evernote, bookmark it in your browser, write it down, put an Excel spreadsheet. I don't care, but don't keep it all up in your head. People try to do that. That's not good. And then you spend an hour trying to find something you found you looked up before at the very least bookmark it all. Okay. Um, And so that's, that's the way you'd study a micro category. I'm going to page down to see if you expanded on it. I didn't see that you expanded on it. So I'm just going to stick with that. Um, But yeah. And to be honest with you, most inventors do not invent that way. It is the best, most amazing way to invent because you're inventing with the marketplace in mind. You're not coming up with a random idea And then you're timid about really studying everything out there going, you're kind of worried. It's human nature. Oh, I'm worried what I'm going to find. And you're doing a half-assed job doing your research. So the best way to invent is study a microcategory, know the market. You're not inventing anything yet. And then invent. And then you know you have a product. You're just killing so many birds with one stone. It's a weird expression, but you're understanding the marketing they're doing. You're understanding, oh, there's a gap in here or, oh, these products are selling really well, but I could make it just a little better. So now they'll buy mine or whatever it is you're doing. And, and that's really the best way to invent. And that's most inventors don't invent that way. And if you don't, that's fine. I'm not saying you need to go out and invent that way. Most of you already have enough ideas, but on your next idea, do that just, just for fun, for fun, you know, just do it. And you'll be amazed at the incredible ideas you'll come up with. Um, Okay. Well, this is, so Jason's making a comment here and this isn't, um, this is a, a, a statistic that people have been quoting for a long time. Nobody can find any research that actually proves this, but I do believe there's some truth to it. So Jason says, even with a licensing deal, stats show that only around 3% of inventions make any real money. What are the most important factors to ensure an invention makes good money? Um, so any citing Stephen keys, Jordan backboards, um, so my business partner did these little uh, Nerf backboards with Michael Jordan endorsing it. And it has the backboard as a picture of Michael Jordan. So there's been this statistic. And the statistic is mostly to illustrate. It's not that th- only 3% of inventions make money. It's 3% of patents. So this is the reason why that that might be true. I don't know if that's an actual statistic or not. Nobody's been able to talk to people at the patent office, others, that 90% of... The the statistic is actually ninety seven percent of fat patents never make any more money than the inventor um, spent on the patent. Well, I have a solution. Don't get a patent. So everybody thinks you talk to your uncle Joe, and Uncle Joe, and he's complimentary when he says this, but Uncle Joe's like, "That's a great idea. You better get a patent on that." You know, and what he really means is it's a great idea, you better protect it. But that's literally most of the people you talk to when they're excited about your idea. That's the only advice they give you. And it's stupid ass advice. It is mind numbingly stupid advice. Not you better study the marketplace, look at all the other products that are out there, see how yours fits in, You know, consider licensing, consider starting your own business. Consider, that's not what they say. You better get a patent on that. And all sorts of patent attorneys are very ready to take your 8 to 20K to file a patent. So the inventor most of the time hasn't even done the research to see if it makes sense or whatever. And the more their family and friends tell them it's great and you better get a patent on that, the less they're researching it. And then they go to a patent attorney and they throw that money at the patent attorney. So the reason why those inventions don't make money is because they were stupid ass inventions to begin with. So the inventor... Thought up this idea, and if you look at patents, if you really just spent time to go on the patent office, and companies do this too, they they file patents without having studied the marketplace, and so they file stuff that doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's a cool idea, but it's not manufacturable, reasonable price, and so the and then the other pro- reason why people don't make money when they spend money on patents is they file the patent, they literally. I've talked to God knows how many inventors that filed a patent. They literally never have done one goddamn single thing to do anything with their idea. Like they have this, they have this perception. If I file a patent, the world will beat a path to my door and somebody will offer me quarter million dollars, half a million dollars or something. Somehow something will happen or that getting a patent is validating your idea. All it means is you threw a bunch of money at an attorney so you can pay for their kid's college education. It doesn't validate the idea in any way, shape, or form from a marketability standpoint. So the reason why, so those statistics, Jason, that have been quoted, which nobody can find the actual study that was done on it, um, at least I can. If you can find it, show me, but I believe there's some truth to it, is that people run out and get patents. The lesson isn't that people fail? The lesson is people file patents and they never do anything after that. Or what they do is really weak. Let's say there's a vague idea, like they haven't been watching InventRight. This vague idea, I could sell my idea and get royalties, but they reach out to two, three companies in some really weak way with a terrible marketing piece where the marketing manager is like, My God, this inventor rambled for two pages in this email. I'm not replying to that. You know, they're doing stuff like that. So the statistics would be very different if people were doing and saying everything right. So, and if, so yes, you should be concerned to run out and spend $10,000 on a patent when you don't know if there's any interest, which is not what we advise in right. We advise you to spend $70 on a provisional patent application. You file that the day or the week before you're ready to start calling it a whole year now. You never need a year to license the product. But most inventors file a provisional, they sit on their hands and they don't start calling the next week. So the year runs out. And yeah, you can file another provisional again and get another year, not doesn't continue the original year. You could do things like that. But so these are the reasons why people don't make money. They don't really make the effort, you know, to to monetize the idea. So, boy, you really got me talking on that one, Jason. Um, so but just imagine yeah, if you reduce your risk, a lot of our students is 70 bucks for a provisional patent, maybe a few bucks for a sell sheet, a few bucks for a v- virtual prototype. Maybe you're in it under two, 300 dollars, literally, for a product that could be earning you 20, 50, 100, 200k a year depends on the product. That's a beautiful thing. But you're right. you, you, you want to limit your financial investment because you will not license every single product you work on. Nobody does. Um, but it's not 3%, only 3% of people doing all the right things, license their products. It's 97% of people file patents, never do crap. And then they say only 3% of patents make any more money than the inventor invested in the patent. I believe that could be true. Maybe it's, maybe it's 10, maybe it's five, who knows what it is, but, but it's too low. So don't run out and get patents. Now, for those of you that have already filed patents, I say, okay, you've already invested financially. Now you really need to make an effort to license it. Or if you're still investigating and you're don't want to go our way and license it and you want to venture it. Okay. Go that way. That's fine. Um, but don't file a patent every time you come up with an idea. Okay. All right. So what are we 50 minutes? I have, uh, I have a date with my wife in 11 minutes, but I'm going to give you guys more 11 more minutes of my time. Uh, Chris says, to what level of detail do I need to go into the specific material, et cetera, for a product? I assume there will be some level of back and forth uh, then with the final details. So he's asking what, with the materials. So, um, you know, I mean, a lot of times it's just obvious. It's like, well, like ABS plastic is tougher than regular plastic. So it's some sporting good product. And you notice that the baseball bat or whatever this thing's out of ABS. And you're like, "Uh, you know, I'd recommend ABS. You you don't, I would say all the time, but a large percent of the time, it's just going to be obvious the materials that they're going to make it out of. But yeah, you do need to kind of decide, is it going to be cloth? Is it going to be metal? Is it going to be plastic? And again, you you can assume that by looking at similar products. And it's pretty easy to figure out um, what type of material, broad brushstrokes that it's going to be. And you don't need to go, oh, it's going to be a a such and such plastic number 52. No, I I literally have never heard a company say that. Um, Now, if they're concerned about, oh, that might be too brittle, or that's going to be in the sun, you know, these are things you need to address. And you go, well, Why don't you make it out of the same plastic that that other company made it out of? What are they using? Oh, we'll take a look at that. Or you can take a look at it at that point after you get interest. So, um, but, you know, it depends on the product. Um, You know, but so so sometimes you have to do that materials research, but the vast majority of the time it's pretty obvious. And you're just going fishing off the end of the pier to see if there's an interest. And you can deal with that later. This is the perception, guys, to think that you need to have every little detail worked out to approach a company is absolute BS. Boy, I'm swearing a lot today. Um, although BS, I don't think is swearing. Hey, yeah. Oh, okay, can you open it up? You it. Oh, okay, but it stopped, right? No, it's crazy. No, no, but is it sagging? Yeah. Not oh. too bad yet. Okay, all right, okay. All right, got it. So, <laughs> hey guys. So I, I, have a, I have a pool cover, an automatic pool cover. It goes over my pool. And like I said earlier, we get these torrential monsoons here where I live. And uh, it fills up the pool cover. It's a very expensive pool cover. So um, in eight minutes, I'm going to go out there and bail the pool cover. i got a pump that will pump it off. Otherwise, it could rip the pool cover. And it's uh, it's, it's really crazy expensive pool cover that we just got. Um, anyways, that was my wife. Uh, she, she sent me a little note there. Uh, um, where where was I going there? Oh, with the materials. So yeah, most of the time you can make assumptions. Um, Saeed said, hi, Andrew, is it okay if the sell sheet shows how the product can be made? I I don't think that's necessary. Uh, again, the sell sheet, the marketing piece is showing them there might be exceptions for an industrial product or something, but you're showing them how they're going to market it. And you would never market a product showing how it's made in less than in rare instances. You might want to show the quality, like it's this really tough nylon or something. But um, yeah, is it okay if the sell sheet shows how the product can be made? Uh, no, I don't think it's necessary 99% of the time, but there's always exceptions, guys. So um, it could be Saeed, but I doubt it. Hopefully my answer is enough for you to figure it out. Um, Uh, hi, this is from Jacob. Hey, Andrew, I'm Jacob. I met you and Stephen Key in a bar, and I'm not in many bars, in Williamton, North Carolina, many years ago. I'd love to talk to you sometime. Uh, can you change the PPA of your wording after you submit it? So first off, great, Jacob. Uh, I haven't been meeting anybody lately with COVID. Um, we meet up with a lot of our students and our fans and our past students at uh, different trade shows. And we're not doing that right now. We're a little sad about that. Um, but that, that'll change eventually. I uh, don't ask me when, of course, I don't know <laughs> if I knew that, man. Um, but your other question, so hopefully we get a meetup again soon. Uh, can I change the wording of my PPA after you submit it? No, you cannot, but it's $70 to fix that. You can file the exact same PPA, change the wording and file it. So you'll have that first one filed, let's say six months ago, file the same one today. They're completely utterly not connected to each other. If you file a full utility, it will reference both number one and number two. So just file the same PPA again, change the wording, it will cost you 70 bucks. Um, and, and in this area, guys, I just find patent attorneys providing a lot of misinformation to try to get you guys signed up for $10,000 patents. Uh, there are plenty of good patent attorneys out there. Um, and actually, we're going to have a patent attorney on... Um, and so, you know, I was going to throw this out there and I guess I will, but I just don't want, I don't want uh, uh, for you guys to email me and then get a, oh, oh, we'll book a meeting with one of our advisors kind of thing. So this is what i going to say. I ask a patent attorney to come on to do patent question and answer. So, and I want our fans and our students to send in your patent questions. And, and then on a YouTube, I'll record it with this patent attorney. I want to record probably two shows, two full shows answering patent questions. So this is why I don't want to happen. I don't want you to drop an email to Andrew and Eventwright saying, here's my patent question, Andrew. And then I'm like, our staff are saying, oh, we'll book an appointment with an advisor. And Andrew's like, you're supposed to, I told you to, Andrew said, drop me an email with the questions for the YouTube show. So here's what I'm going to say. Say, Andrew here's a patent question for the YouTube show with an attorney, okay? If you don't say it just that way, you'll get a response saying, oh, book an appointment with our advisor to talk about our coaching program, which is reasonable, right? Because you got a patent question that we can help and, you know, okay. So if you have a patent question, send it to andrewatinventright.com. So it's andrew at InventRight.com. I will not answer it. I can't guarantee we're going to a- answer it. With the patent attorney, but we'll get to as many as possible, and say this is for the YouTube show with the patent attorney. Here's my question for the attorney, okay? And send it to Andrew at InventRight.com because I know a lot of you have patent questions. Um, and and I'll, I think I'm scheduled in about two weeks. He's going on a week long anniversary trip. That's nice. Um, and and then in about two weeks we'll record it, so it'll go up probably in about three weeks, then maybe the second one will go up a week after that. But, but anyway, so email me your patent questions and site that's for the YouTube show for the patent attorney. Okay. And send it to Andrew and InventRight. Um, now I'm really worried that my very expensive pool cover is weighed down with all this water and it's going to rip. Um, it's not one of those bubble things. It's like, it was in the house I moved into. It's like automatic. It's like so cool. And now I'm freaking out about that, so I get to go out there and bail water, even though I had a date with my white wife. Um, I'm always about providing value, so we got three minutes. So, at the risk of my pool cover ripping, I'm still going to answer one more question. It's just the kind of guy I am. Um, uh, so, Pat Pr- Pratic, uh, can you tell what? to include in a memorandum of understanding before showing a prototype to a company when a company asks you to show a prototype? Yeah. You know, sometimes when you ask them to show a prototype, it's not a memorandum of understanding. It's usually a non-disclosure agreement of sorts. Um, But you're asking me, oh, so you're asking basically what's in the non-disclosure agreement that you're going to ask them to sign before sending a prototype. So it's a big difference asking them to sign a non-disclosure agreement because you're going to send them this prototype like you're sending them something, right? You know, it's not just a sell sheet. So, you know, and most of them, you know, will agree to that. Most of them, even your NDA sometimes, um, they'll agree to that. But if you ask every company to sign your NDA before they've even seen what your product is, you know, you filed your provisional patent. That's your main form of protection. Again, if I haven't made a disclaimer on this show, I'm going to say anything that I share with you is not considered legal advice. So please consult your attorney before moving forward on anything. But with our experience, asking every company to sign your NDA before you show me your product is you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. And so file your provisional patent. As your main form of protection, but after you know you kind of talk a little bit, send this prototype, you can get them to sign an NDA, and so um, it's basically saying that you're they're not going to disclose it to others unless they get your 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 permission, um, you know. And you could be very tremendously the most aggressive thing, which I don't recommend in most um, instances. Product is the improvements clause that they that you they would you would own any improvements. So if they come up with improvement too, because basically here's my invention, plus any improvements you come up with, you know, I'm going to own. So you're, and they're like already in that space and that freaks them out. So what you want to do is in your provisional, cover your main version and cover all those improvements in your provisional patent. And then I'll make it more comfortable. You're not asking them to send that. I'm not saying you wouldn't do that, but it's basically a non-disclosure agreement. They're gonna They're going to keep it confidential essentially. You can go online, look at what basic non-disclosures look like. So I think we're going to need to wrap up, guys. Uh, I want to remind everybody that, um, and if this doesn't apply to you, I'm not reminding you of it, but um, that inventing is part of who you are, whether you've been inventing for weeks or months or years or decades, some of you. Um, so don't let it be a thorn in your side because it's so exciting to come up with new products but when you don't get it out there so people can enjoy it, um, it starts to become a thorn in your side. So take action, watch our YouTube show, read our books, or take it up to the next level, do our coaching program, do something to take some sort of action to feel good about yourself and move forward with your inventions. Maybe it's very slow for you. Maybe it's you want to move forward at a breakneck pace, but do something. Do something other than just come up with the idea, throw money at patent attorneys and mess around with prototypes. Not saying you don't need to ever file patents, not saying you don't need to mess around with prototypes, but focus on this other stuff that we teach you on our YouTube show, teach you in our books, and guide you to do when we're coaching you. So I want to remind everybody, um, you're welcome, Julie, you're welcome, Jam, uh, you're welcome, Betty, and you're welcome, everybody. Now I'm going to go make sure my stupid pool cover doesn't rip from the rain. So I remind everybody to take care, keep inventing. we'll catch up with you next time, guys. Bye.